The podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 215. My name is Brando. Thanks for hanging out again on another edition of this uh, Guns N' Roses-themed bar mitzvah party of a broadcast. You know, where we would look at life through uh, Guns N' Roses-colored uh, lenses and you know, six degrees of G&R bacon, all the, the fun little catchphrases that I come up with. Uh, but I'm usually not... I'm the guy to make jokes, silly jokes and puns, but I'm not usually this guy. It's my birthday. You don't have... No, 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 no. You don't have to say happy birthday. No, no, no. Uh, I'm just not that person. Are you... You like to celebrate your birthday all week? It's my birthday week. It's my birthday month. Oh, those people. I mean, if you're one of those people, I'm sure. Uh, you're one of the good ones. Um, it's just not me. I'm, I'm bringing it up because there's nothing more... I, I love spending my birthday doing this. Talking to you interviewing amazing people. So coming up later on in the show, because we have two interviews today, coming up later on in the program, Dez from Devil Driver. Devil Driver's been around for a while, and of course, Dez uh, started out with uh, with Cold Chamber. I remember playing Cold Chamber back on college radio. It's just so cool to talk to him. Uh, they have a new album coming out. It is entitled Dealing with Demons 1. It's actually going to be a dual album, so I guess they're kind of a user illusion, so to speak, and we're going to find out, of course, what his six degrees of GNR bacon is. But first, I, I just can't wait. I mean, this is, uh, an, he's back uh, on the show. Uh, first time was episode 113, I believe. But back to the program, Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. Brandy. Hey, Dave. How purple of you. Almost. It's, uh, even though they got killed oh, last shit. night. It's, uh, it's Islander Blue, even though they got destroyed last night. I can see. That's too bad, buddy. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, doing I'm, I'm doing good. I'm just signing autographs. I've got all these autographs to sign for the inside of the book. And they gave me 8,000 of these blue ones and 4,500 of the yellow ones. So right now all I'm seeing is polka dot ones. <laughs> just make sure to crack those knuckles every, every few so you don't get carpal tunnel. I will. But uh, I will. I'm I'm excited uh, to talk to you today because there, honestly, yeah. Dave, there was nothing I wanted to to do on my birthday than to talk to you about Rusty. It's your birthday today. It is. Holy cow! Are you are you married? Um, let's just say soon, soonish. You got a girlfriend? I do. Are you going to get laid today? Uh, no comment. That may or may not have happened. It's your birthday, and you're not going to get uh, you know old in out in out, you know. Oh no! It, it it happened this morning before oh, I <laughs> early riser afternoon delight. Okay, remember that song, that horrible song. I do, uh, yeah. I do. Awesome. Uh, but I don't want to talk about horrible music. I want to talk about great music. All right, let's talk to to celebrate your anniversary of sorts. Rust in peace. What inspired you? I guess to to you do this unique way of because of reissues and there's a lot of ways to celebrate an anniversary, but to put together a book. And like how you did it, where it's thoughts of a, a, so many different people. 
what, what was the, the catalyst to inspire you to, to put this to book? Well, I've always tried to be an innovator with the things that I do. There's not really very many original things left in this uh, world. So um, either you just are going to have to grin and face it or you're going to have to work extra hard. So I think when we started doing the package for this, you know, and granted, we have a box set coming out for everything, but this was something really different. You know, it was telling the story behind the story because, you know, everybody knew that I, I was uh, completely out of control uh, with my my addictions and stuff, but nobody knew that about Ellison. So when the book starts off and then within the first two and a half pages, he's uh, addressing um, and confessing his uh, heroin addiction, that pretty much grabs the reader by the old sack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Dave, I I often talk about uh, on this podcast, sobriety and and addiction. This uh, December will be about five years for me since I've had a drink. And I've had Dave on the show before, and he's a wonderful guy. And I'm glad to see him and you come out the, the other side. And somebody else who's come out through the other side that we talk about a lot on this podcast is Slash. Uh, if you need to get that, I understand. I don't know if, if the no. president's calling you. <laughs> no, we, are, we talked this morning while you were doing your wife. <laughs> right on. Uh, with, with, what made you want to have Slash write the forward, I guess? Because I'm sure there's a, lot, there's a lot of people that were inspired by you. Or I think anybody him. would have wanted to have Slash write it. But the thing is, uh, it actually was part of an interview that he did with somebody else and um, was part of our team. And they said there was just a really great uh, thing that Slash had been talking about you. And, and why don't you use that? And when I read it, I was just you know, gloating. It was just great. You know, it's great to have people say nice stuff about you like that, but guys that, that you really look up to, you know, not just because they're successful because, you know, I'm successful too, but mm-hmm. we were, we were close. Um, we spent a lot of time together. David spent more time with Slash than I did, but I think that we had that guitar player bond. Right on. I, I want to ask while we're kind of on that subject a little bit the the chapter uh, the the chapter excuse me called Axel calls. Can you talk to me about the, uh, just a phone call from Axel Rose how it kind of put a you know a monkey wrench in the production of the record? Uh, well, it, it 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 kind of put a monkey wrench in things, I guess you could say. Um, it, but I think we were going into it with the right headspace because we knew that the possibility was that everything was going to get fucked. So we, we started the record. Mike told us if Axel calls, he's going to have to go and finish their record because he had just done their record. Their record was bigger than any of ours. And um, he had made a commitment to them already. And more important than sales or any of that stuff was the commitment, the word, his word. So when he said he had to go, I was okay with it. Wasn't happy, but I was okay with it. Mm. Is that yeah? I was gonna that was gonna be a follow up, but you kind of answered it for me. Someone who understands the business, you cannot be okay. You cannot be happy with it, but you kind of understand why somebody needs to go on another project, even though he's working on yours. Mike Link, of course, you're you're referring to. Yeah. Is there yeah, yeah, yeah. is there a a track on Rust and Peace that has changed the most for you in the thirty years? Whether it's you look at it more fondly now, or maybe or changed. Yeah, you, you you wish it was something different about it. Is there one track that maybe stands out to you that you can call it your favorite, or or, or just maybe the most special to you after all these uh, 
all, all this time. Again, 30th anniversary. God, you put me on the spot right now. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. I think Hangar 18 has always been really a fun Ooh. song to, to listen to. And for me, Holy Wars is the, uh, I bet you can't play this song, but uh, I don't know. There's stuff on there like uh, Lucretia and, and Five Magics. Those songs were were incredible songs you know especially to try and um, play and sing at the same time and that was tough what is night i mean i guess it's kind of a loaded question you know what is next for you i know we're kind of limited in this uh in this pandemic i know you're working a lot of things i mean the book i mean or you just you're you're engulfed in the book now because you seem like the kind of guy who's thinking 20 steps ahead you know what you want to do next year uh, you know, it's funny that you say that because we've already been thinking about what's next. We're planning, <laughs> we're getting prepared for this new record and the box set, which I just uh, mentioned to you. And we're um, trying to reroute and uh, reposition uh, the metal tour of the year that we had set up last year. And uh, that kind of has been put on hold because of uh, the, the whole uh, epidemic whatever. And, um, so we're, we're working on that. And then there's always, uh, you know, the follow-ups to records, you've got to do the videos and, and the photo shoots and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, what I'm not looking forward to doing is, is doing a, a universal press tour. <laughs> I'm, I'm not looking forward to doing that. That's I, what I, I- I know this was uh, I, that's why I appreciate your time today. You did a lot of interviews today. You're obviously multitasking by, by yeah. signing autographs. You're you're a man of the people, Dave Mustaine. You've given uh, the world so much as it is. Uh, I've been playing your your music since I've cracked the mic on the radio. So just it's an honor to have you Thanks, on the buddy. show again. I don't you probably don't remember me because I said I was last time I was so nervous to talk to you. I got stuck. Speaking of Slash, I got stuck in the word idolize and it made it sound like. I was saying, do you idolize Slash? Like Slash was above you. <laughs> I was laughing. I, I, you were like, did you just say I? Did I? Do I idolize Slash? I got, I, I got beat red, and I, of course, I explained what I just got a flub. Uh, you know, I got a brain fart right there, and you were cool the rest of the way. But this was mm. the interview I've wanted to make up for my career. So, all right, we're good. That's, that's my, that's, that's my goodbye, I guess, for now. All right, I don't idolize Slash. I, I, I know. I love Slash. A mutual respect, and I couldn't think of that that term, so I got yeah. stuck in idolize because I was so nervous talking to you. So I think yeah, the fact that you're signing cool. autographs right now is making me feel a little bit more at ease. Yeah, so. don't don't worry about it. I, I, you know, um, I think it sounds better to say you love someone than you idolize them. You know, we're not supposed to have of any, course, any of course, absolutely stuff like that. You know, I agree. Well, thank you so much, Dave. Continue to feel well, and uh, you know, continue success. Continue being you. I don't need to tell you. Thanks, B. Thanks, Dave. Cool. That's Paul picture behind you, by the way, too. Oh, yeah. Speaking yeah. of Slash. <laughs> See you later, pal. I mean, <laughs> that was amazing for so many reasons. I didn't know if I was going to bring up to him about last time, my, my awkwardness that, that happened or the awkwardness that happened. Uh, but it seemed like we were in a groove. So let me, let me bring it up. I was going to bring it up to you after because this was an episode – or I should say an interview that I, and I just, you just heard me tell Dave that I wanted to redeem myself. And I, I love the way that it, this interview went, even though I made it awkward. I, I made it my kind of awkward. Although I did not expect to, to announce that I had, you know, relations with my lady 
Uh, see, that's how awkward I am. That's how I, what I call it. But I, I thought Dave would have just moved past it where I was like, oh, I don't want to say. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> I felt like, you know what? If he's just flat out asking me, I'm going to flat out tell him. Oh, God. I hope she doesn't listen to this episode. Anyway, uh, coming up next. I mean, this is, um, this is cool. This is a, a really cool interview opportunity. And I, I'm excited to talk to Des from Devil Driver about so many different things. Uh, I believe I'm going to call him up on Skype and we're going to bring him on. Hello. Hey, Des. Yeah, how you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you uh, taking time. Absolutely. Hold on one second. No worries. Okay, perfect. I just want to make sure. Get things, uh, get my phone plugged in. Yeah. How you doing today? Doing good? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. It's, um, I guess I have to be honest because I'm a pretty honest person. It's my birthday Actually, uh, happy birthday. It's my uh, middle son's birthday, Caleb, as well. We're going out today with him. Oh, nice. Okay. You going anywhere special, Chuck E. Cheese or Applebee's or someone? Uh, the kid is turning 26 and he wants to go out to a winery and I'm sober. So I'm a great driver. So let's go. Oh, <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, I've, I guess as of December, I haven't had a drink in five years. So we're in a good, we're in a good start. Uh, good for you, man. Uh, life changes as soon as you get off of the, get off of the booze and get off of the whatever drugs and stuff you're on. So good to hear, man. And happy birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you for, for both. Um, before we get into the new album, now that we're kind of talking about it and forgive me if you brought it up in previous interviews, uh, how long have you been sober? When did that, when did you decide? Uh, cause, uh, cause I, ta- I, I talk a lot about that on the podcast in addition to the the GNR theme that I'm sure you've been warned about, but uh, I talk a lot about sobriety and mental health. So, you know, whenever there's an opportunity that comes up to talk about it from somebody who's, I mean, you've come out through the other side, you know, it seems. Yeah, like. that's all good, man, because I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Keep it positive. Uh, don't script the ending to the movie. Watch the movie play itself out and try to do your best. Sure. Um, I got sober on 10, 9, 16 uh, is when I got sober. And I actually have it tattooed on my wrist the day I, uh, walked off my bus and just literally said, that's it. I'm not going to have another cocktail. And it wasn't necessarily that I was getting fall down, uh, excuse me, fall down drunk or, you know, uh, abusing people around me because of alcohol. It was just like the sense of me saying, all right, I'm on tour for this long. I have a couple cocktails before the show, rarely drink after. And if I do maybe one cocktail, that means X amount of drinks, uh, over a period of a month, over a period of year, over a period of 25 years, 28 years on the road. So maybe it's time, you know? And then I had a, a dude, a, a great mentor of mine, a big guy in the music industry, actually, uh, on the other side of the business side of it, uh, would say to me, you know, Des, after the age of 25, holding a bottle of booze doesn't look good on a man. <laughs> and, I, and, and I thought yeah. to myself, well, I was, I was always growing up like, you come home, you know, you, you, you have a cocktail, you know, the, the guy coming home with the suit, making a cocktail, relaxing with his wife. Like that's, that's how you do it. But actually that's not how you do it, man. And, uh, I just, I luckily learned that lesson in time before, before anything really went awry, uh, within my life. Plus I'll be honest, there's nothing worse than being a a drunk on a tour bus as it's moving. I mean, you cannot, (laughs) it's the worst. So you're already spinning and throwing up, and now you got your head in the toilet that 13 other people use on a daily basis. It's Oof. just not a good scene. Not a good scene. <laughs> Lots of buckets and, uh, and, and paper towels around, I'm sure. Yeah, not a, not a good scene, you know. Um, I mean, I grew up in that uh, era of, you know, late 70s, eight, in the 80s, uh, graduating high school, 
in, I think it was 84, 85, 84, 85, um, when it was like, you know, that's what you do. You go out with your boys, you have the drinks. Uh, you know, when I was in L.A. running around, I must have been I know, sometime between 17 and, and, and 19. I'm running around L.A. Uh, I meet, uh, I'm basically homeless, running around with my friends, staying at people's houses. We slept underneath uh, bridges a couple times, sold food from A.M. P.M. kind of thing, and ran into, uh, went to the cat house with Ricky Rackman. Okay. Uh, I mean, this is, a, this is a great story, but this is how I was raised. It's like in clubs, drinking, that's just what you do. Um, and so to bring GNR into the conversation, and this would be a great segue into, into, Hey, stay positive and get off the booze is, um, I was really young and I, and I went to the cat house one night I had my friends with me and, uh, I got greeted at the door with, of course, Ricky. And I said, Hey, you know, we want to come in. He's like, well, plainly you guys are too young. Uh, you're definitely not 21 and you're not, you know, you're not coming in, but see that blue light above me in the doorway. And I said, yeah. And he goes, that's out. I don't have another one. If you go get me a blue light, I'll let you guys in tonight. You just can't make any trouble. I'll let you guys in. <laughs> I ran across the street to a CVS. I actually stole a blue light. <laughs> I, had no, I had no money. I came back. I gave him the blue light. He goes, you're pretty resourceful. I said, yeah, I'm real resourceful. I'm Italian. I'm very resourceful. <laughs> He's like, you know what? Uh, our bar back didn't show up tonight. Do you know what that is? I said, I have no idea what that is. He said, well, he basically got to you know, put, a, put a little apron on. You got to bring ice. You got to clean glass. He's like, you think you're up to it? I said, A, I have no home. B, I need money. C, this is the coolest club in L.A., and I'm way too young to even be here. And, yeah, I'm in. So from that moment on, became kind of my real, more of a relationship with the rock and roll scene. I was a gothic yeah. punk rock kid who fell into that scene um, and thus met, met G&R way before they were signed. Um, great story is I would say a couple months later, I met Ricky's house. I, for then I always used to go to Ricky's house before the club, help him get stuff together, then go to the club, help him open the club. I was always there way beforehand. And we were sitting at the house and, he, and I'm like, we're going to the club tonight. And he's like, yeah, but we're going to be a little late tonight. And I said, why? Cause we got, I've got a band coming over. They're going to jam here to warm up before they play the cat house. <clears throat> I said, okay, what do you want me to do? Get some drinks together. Whatever, you know, you want me to do, I'm here. In comes GNR into his apartment. They all sit down uh, on the couch. They all start jamming, acoustic, warming up. They played for about an hour, hour and a half. We all got up. We went to this club way before anybody knew who they were, way before they were selling out the rock beer, the whiskey. Um, cut to a day or two later, I'm with Ricky. And I'm like, where are we going, boss? You know, And he's like, we're going to go pick up a bunch of sandwiches. We're going to go bring them to that band that played the other night, uh, Guns N' Roses. And I go, okay, cool. We end up at this house. We open the garage. There's all these beds on the garage. They're living in the garage. They're on beds on the floor. You know, it looks like, I don't even know what. It looks insane, it looks insane to me, right? And we go in. We, we give them sandwiches and stuff. And so that was my early introduction to GNR. And then after that, I had an apartment. And Duff actually lived literally right across the door across from me was Duff. So <laughs> when Duff would come home, drunk and I'd come home wasted like you know I'd go to his his place and he'd come over to my place and this was in the early days we hung out for about four or five months you know when I lived at that apartment and then I moved but that was my early introduction to to GNR and to the rock and roll scene was drinking so to come back to our to what we started as and and now I realized like you know nah it's probably better just to be sober and to see where you go from there and just like your 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 past neighbor Duff realized, you know, because he's uh, 
the model of be, being sober now. I mean, he looks better now than he did 20, 30 years ago. It's amazing. Absolutely. My wife was looking at a picture of me too, man, in my 30s uh, and said, you know, you look way better now. And I said, well, it's kind of hard to take down a bottle of uh, Jack or, you know, and look good. You know, it just doesn't, it just doesn't look good on you, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't give you a positive head, headspace. There's, there's actually a song on the new record that's coming out October 2nd, Dealing with Demons, Volume 1. It's a double record called You Give Me a Reason to Drink. Um, and that's what that song is about, about how you will slip if you don't keep your head strong. And most of humanity, they have a bad day and they're like, look, give me a beer and a double back shot. That's how I'm going to get over it. Uh, my wife is mad at me. Make me a fucking beer. Excuse my language. You know? <laughs> it's okay. Uh, you know, and it's like, and, but we are kind of raised like this. These are the programs that we watched, the, the TV programs I watched when I was a kid. The man always come home, made a cocktail. Uh, my father, who uh, is, was, was an actor when he was younger, actually on Leave it to Beaver, a regular on Leave it to Beaver. So oh, yeah? My, uncle. Nice. My, my, my dad was Tui on Leave it to Beaver. And my <laughs> uncle was Whitey. Um, his Wikipedia is a mile long. He's done a lot of great things. But he even said to me, you know, son, I would come home, because he, he, in the beginning, after acting, helped run Panasonic help bring Panasonic actually to the United States. And he said to me, you know, you know, son, after a hard day, I would drive in from LA, drive to Woodland Hills, uh, where I lived. I would walk in before I even said hi to anybody. I'd go over, I'd make a cocktail. I'd sit down, put a cocktail down. Like that's how I ended my day. And that's just how I think we were all raised in the United States. And now it's, it's just a different story, you know, just yeah. a different story for the way that I look at it now. Sure. And I, I, all that I, that was going through my mind when you were talking about how things used to be is that I, I finally watched Mad Men and yeah, it's like you come home, you get a cocktail, your wife makes you dinner. I mean, it's not the you way know, of the world. We were, it's weird. We were watching Bewitched. Uh, it, it's weird. Like during this COVID, first of all, it's the longest I've been home in 27 years. Right. So <laughs> wow. I've been home almost, almost a year. Okay. And so I find myself, especially with all the unrest, civil unrest, pandemic, like, Everywhere around you, bad bitch, okay? So I've been finding myself going back to these, like, ha like happy, watching Happy Days, <laughs> watching, like, Andy Griffin, watching, like, stuff that's just, like, nobody's yelling at each other, good little lesson at the end, right? And we were watching Bewitched. I of, like that. Uh, the other night. Yeah. We were watching Bewitched the other night, and it's like, oh, look at Darren's office. What do you see? You walk in the door to Darren's office. What does he have? A bar. What's the first thing he's doing when they walk in? offering everybody a drink. Every time they come over to Darren's household, they're all having a cocktail. Where are they going? They're all going out for cocktails, you know? And you look at the society back, I believe, you know, I mean, as far back, 20s, 30s, 40s, in the 50s and the 60s, like the partiers were actually the people in their 40s and 50s putting the lampshades on their ha on their head, going, you know, they're maybe a stoner or whatever, like big parties, right? Everybody's drinking cocktails at that age, right? So it's a situation where we are raised with that. And I think we got to come out of it in a, in, a, in a later age. And hey, look, if you can go home and have one beer, more power to you. If you can go home and have one cocktail and that's all, more power to you. I do everything hard. Yeah. I do it right. all. I do it all full fucking on. Um, it's funny. Like we actually, I do everything so full on that, you know, we just actually bought e-bikes, dirt e-bikes that do like 35 miles an hour, right? Uh, full, full face helmets, chest pads, everything, me, the kids, wife, we're all riding and I'm going down a hill. And next thing I know I'm fetal position in a bush looking up at my kid and I was out cold. I went over the handlebars doing probably 40, right? 
And my wife's like, we're selling them. That's it. They're done. You're no longer getting on that because I can't do anything half ass. And, uh, you know, I think that's the majority of men in America. Uh, at least the guys that I was raised around, you do things full on. Uh, you have a, a, a very masculine, I have a very masculine take on things. Like I'm going to fucking do it heavy and full on. Um, and then you apply that to drinking. It's just a bad situation. Well, it's you nice know, some- to see that that passion hasn't left because that was what I was kind of worried about in a way when I got, you know, sober from alcohol, started going to therapy medication. Like, would I lose my, you know, what made me creative? You know, like, did I right. raise that the double edged sword? Like, I need that edge to to be, you know, creatively uh, satisfied. However, you know, that's not the case. It doesn't seem to be the case with with you either because it's it's just so funny. At a glance, you could see the names of, you know, the upcoming. Uh, on your upcoming album, the, the, the title tracks, you know, like you just mentioned, uh, you give me reason to drink or nest of vipers or vengeance is clear. It sounds, you know, of course, along with, you know, the traditional, uh, devil driver sound, but you can tell talking to you and I won't give it away. You have a very cuddly, uh, Skype name, you know, it's just, so <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to have, <laughs> it's dog related. So not to, you know, not to sell you under the river too much. Uh, yeah. but it's, I don't know. Does, did you ever find that struggle? Like, could I make the same aggressive music even though I'm in a better place? Look, I did. I remember the first night that I went on stage not drinking. Um, and because I suffer from very heavy agoraphobia, I've always been told I picked the wrong job. I have a hard time being in, in public, being in, uh, like, I'm not going to come to your Grammy Awards party, you know, is what I say. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm, mm. just, I'm very private. I'm probably the most private guy in the music business. And that's pop metal, all of it. I don't crave uh, the fame, the fortune, the, any of that, right? I, I crave more making music and getting on stage. But the first night I got on stage without drinking, I mean, I, I puked so hard backstage, I didn't know if I could go on stage. Wow. So I think we dive into those things to, uh, to get rid of uh, anxiety, to get rid of the way you're feeling, to glance over your feelings. And I'm a kid who, like, by all means, I had a, a suburban lifestyle, but I had a weird one. I had a uh, a stepfather commit suicide. I had a, I went to counseling a lot when I was younger. My mom put me into counseling a lot when I was younger. And then when I got old enough to start drinking, instead of going to counseling, I started to drink to get rid of whatever feelings and shit that I was dealing with and to just, you know, buck up, man up, have a fucking beer and get over it. Right. That's how I was raised. Like dust yourself off, get the fuck back on the horse. Um, and I just, it's, it's a bad situation to get into you're not confronting yourself now this is uh of course i laid i laid we had a record previous to this called outlaws go in uh it was a, a outlaw outlaw country cover record done heavy right we had a ton of guests randy from lamb of god leaving from fear johnny cash's son like all this right i made that sober but this is the first record and it's a double record i wrote sober i recorded sober and when I listen back to it, I'm like, this is the best work, period. I'm the kind of guy who I don't listen to my records. I listen to them once and I'm done. I never listen to myself ever. I've listened to all the records I've ever done, maybe once or twice when they're done and that's it. Never again. Uh, I have a hard time even listening to them if I got to hear something before I go into rehearsal to learn a new song or an older song to get it right. I have a hard time. But this new record, I've listened to it thousands of times. Wow. Everybody that comes to the house, I'm like, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. Because I'm proud I got over that. I got, you know, and so you don't need alcohol. You don't need drugs. Um, 
Now, keep in mind, I'm a medical marijuana guy. So a lot of people will say, well, just shut the fuck up. You're not sober, right? Like, and I've had people say that to me. Don't talk to me about being sober, Des, if you smoke marijuana, right? Don't do it. Well, I was on Ritalin for a long time because I suffer from ADD, ADHD. Even now, I sleep four or five hours a night. It must have drove my mother insane. I know it drives my wife nuts. I'm walking around the house in the middle of the night, right? I'm working. I'm running four, uh, four companies at maximum level. And, and I find that that actually is very medicinal. So, you know, where you're like, okay, how can you talk about sobriety when you smoke marijuana? And I'm saying, look, what I'm saying to you about sobriety is if it gets in your way, it's time to drop it. So if you're the guy that can come home and have one beer, God bless you. Yes. But I was the type that I'd come home and I'd be like, after two beers, this is not getting me there. Right? It's just not. Right? Uh, you're right. You just give me a couple. It's all in moderation. That's what my therapist says. You know, I we're cut from the same cloth in a lot of different ways, Des. And this is our first conversation. It's interesting, I'm, I'm, which is the point of an interview. I'm supposed to learn about you, but uh, right. before, before I right. it gets lost, let me just uh, acknowledge. You know, I'm sorry for the loss of your your stepdad. That's actually how I lost my dad uh, eight years ago. Oh. Uh, I, okay, I, I mentioned that on the podcast, and uh, just with the. You know, you being uh, kind of an introvert, I'm the same way. I listen to the podcast once, maybe twice to edit it. I don't like listening to myself, even when I'm on FM radio, just to, you know, how, how to get better uh, kind of thing. But no, that's what my therapist well, said. So, Everything, I'm sorry, for your, yeah. I'm sorry for your loss, man. I'm sorry for your loss. And it's, Thank you. It's and a, it's difficult. You, you, you can't, it's hard to process for people that have never been through it. And it was only until about, I would say, six years ago, uh, one of my early managers I was working with. I mean, now my, my now my wife is managing us. She runs the Oracle Management. She's a CEO, and she manages Devil Driver. But an early guy, and he was kind of a mentor with me, a guy named Steve Davis. He's a manager still. He's a really great, great guy. And he, used to, he said something to me that everybody should like kind of learn this, right, is that you, you cannot script the movie. Meaning, like, you never walk into a movie and try to script the ending. I mean, some people do, <laughs> right? Sure. But you can never go into a movie and you never should trying to script the ending. So you have to watch the movie play itself out. And I immediately, you know, you will take things and, and introduce them to yourself and, and how they work for your life. I immediately attributed that to suicide because of what I went through, because of what you went through. And thought to myself, oh, this is a great thing to tell people that may have suicidal thoughts is not only to reach out and it's okay to reach out and it's okay to talk to somebody and mental health is a real thing. And we all have fucked up times in our life when we think we're over it, but then the sun shines the next day. You don't strip the movie. Don't try to end the movie. Even if you're homeless on the street, 85 years old, nobody's helping you. You don't know if you'll win the lotto. And the next thing you know, you've got a house and you're saving yourself. And now you found your long lost granddaughter and you helped her through college with the money and you got yourself clean and sober. And now you're helping other people at 87 years old. You don't know. So, and suicide is the thing that leaves us with so many questions. Why did that person do it? Where was this headspace? Why did he not think about me? Why did he leave all the people behind? Was he so, was he going through pain either mentally or physically? Now, I understand people that are in physical pain that just can't, like, they can't get through it anymore. You know, the guy that's been, like, I've been in a wheelchair for two and a half years. I just, I am daily right. pain. I can't get, I totally get that. I really understand that 
thought process of, but you know what? Go on to the next plane of existence, my man, because there's plenty other planes of existence. I get it. I 100% get it. But when it's just, I need to take myself out because I'm mentally ill, then you wish. I wish I was there for that person. I wish someone was there for that person. I wish they had reached out. I wish they had been stronger. Were they weak because they did it or were they stronger than all of us because they had the, what we in Italian say, the balls to do it? Yeah. I mean, it's a really, um, it's a messed up thing that affects families uh, like, like you can't understand. And, and, and even when you're older, you'll hold that. You'll always say to yourself, you know, I wonder why, even if you think you know the answer, I wonder why my father, my stepfather, in, you know, whoever in your life committed suicide. And I mean, you do your best to live in the moment. Like you're, you're, you're kind of saying by watching the movie and you're right. Everything you're saying is what I, I, I play through, you know, through my head. And, uh, you know, as we're on a serious subject, it's why like, you know, people are asking, what am I doing for my birthday? I'm happily doing interviews. I don't really don't. I, of course, when I think about my birthday, we, which we all do, you know, we'll think about the people that aren't here. It doesn't have to be as serious as something like what we're talking about now. It could be a uh, grandparent. It could be, that you lost a long time ago, but it's, it's just living in the now and, and, and knowing how to enjoy it and, and letting your movie unfold. I think that's, you know, the, I that's said so happy important. Birthday. I, I said happy birthday to my kid this morning. Right. And this is tell you how I, how I raised uh, three, three boys, three young men. He, and he says immediately back to me, Oh dad, every day is my birthday. I said, Hey, happy birthday, son. <sighs> we'll see you. Come on over. You know, you want to go to this winery, you want to have, you know, you want to have some, I get it, you want to have some wine, whatever. I get it. You're 26. You know, I'm not going to force my ways on you. But it was so amazing to see his text back to me. Uh, Dad, every day is my birthday. That's what you want to hear. Like, I've, I've raised him like every day above ground is my birthday. Uh, you know, I've always, I've raised him, raised him too. It's like, look, if you're going to have a cocktail with your friend or have a beer with your friend, you want to grab a, a drink because it's your birthday, like, just don't get shitty. Don't, don't get shitty. Don't get shitty with people around you. Don't let it ruin your day tomorrow. Don't let it ruin your day today. And I think, you know, they are more moderate than I am, which thank God, because as I raised three uh, sons with my attitude, oh my God, it would have been, uh, <laughs> been a struggle. You know, it would have been a struggle. I, I, um, I actually posted a picture on my Instagram, my dad's profile Instagram yesterday. Uh, me in the bath at like four or five years old, making like this ah face, like <laughs> the same face I've made, the same face I've made in press pictures for, you know, 26 years. Nice. And I said, you know, this, this is to my mom, you know, and even at a young age, I was saying, get ready. You're going to raise a hellion. It's going to be a bumpy ride. And she hit me. She's, <laughs> she's like, oh yeah. You know what I mean? You, you were far from easy. You know, you had your own mind made up from, from the get go. Um, so look, I think some of those things, I guess what I'm getting at, some of those things in life that we have when we're younger, those, you know, I'm going to get you world, right? Those things also play into how hard we drink, how hard we party, uh, you know, how hard we want to do drugs, pills, or whatever. You know, my thing was, was, was booze. And then, of course, being raised on the road, much like every other musician, it's like, I can't get to sleep. There's a pill for that. You know, I, 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 can't, get, I, I can't stay awake. You know, I, I got to stay awake for this next flight. I'm never going to make it. I'm falling asleep, like, you know, at the second. There's a pill for that. You know, and where I never got into uppers, because I took Ritalin, was essentially an upper, because they give ADD, ADHD kids uh, an upper in order to make you go down. So, like, I was a kid. If I did cocaine with my friends, I would immediately be narfed out in a room and not talk, where everybody else was like, blah, 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 <laughs> you know? 
Um, so I always gravitated towards downers. And then you start getting an addiction where you're, you find a fucking, excuse my language, you find a doctor. You're good, man. That, uh, mm-hmm. you, yeah, you find a doctor that will give you 380 soma at once that are the size of, a, you know, almost the size of a quarter. And if you've ever seen what those jars look like, it's like I'm holding a jar, a small jar of mayonnaise full of a heart muscle relaxer that's going to kill me. I'd Same. come home, I'd ch- I would chew two or three of those, do a couple shots of whiskey, and whoo, I was good. I was feeling great. You know, um, I'm lucky I didn't die. I'm lucky I didn't die. Uh, several different times I'm lucky I didn't die. And I actually was so, uh, I've only canceled two shows my whole entire life, okay? And when I say shows, like I'm on the road, not tours. I'm on the road, and I've got to cancel tonight. One, early cold chamber days, I was on Mushrooms. Uh, and I actually came out to the crowd and said, look, I'm on mushrooms. <laughs> and so is my guitar player. And there was like 1,100 people in the room. It's probably our first, second year out. And I said, but if you guys don't don't walk out and want your, uh, want your money back, we'll come hang out with you guys at the bar. And luckily, we only had one ticket return. And my next time, which was way later in my life, 15, 20 years later in my life, I was in Germany. And I'd been drinking all the way from Sweden to Germany with my bass player. I was so hungover that the paramedics who were dressed in these weird little outfits with, with like a little Pinto kind of looking uh, ambulance outside that I was like plainly like, I'm not getting in that to go to a hospital in Germany. Like they were like, hey, man, if you don't come with us. You got to sign here. And I'm like, what's this? They're like, we, you're going to die. We think if you don't come with us, you're so dehydrated, you're so messed up, you're going to die. And I proudly signed that paper and said, get out of here and went back to my bunk and could have died. So I had a lot of friends die from alcohol. Uh, Dave from Downing Pool died from alcohol and mm. pills. Like I had a lot of people around me die from either pills or, uh, pills or alcohol on the way up. Um, and actually you could hear me right then. I just go because it, it makes me think like, why was I lucky? Why was my heart strong enough or my mind strong enough or my will strong enough to beat that? And how the hell did I come out the other side? You know, I, I, I really don't know what it is, is inner strength. You're not going to get it. You're, I mean, you can go get it from therapy. You can go get it from talking to a friend, but it has to be you. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I want to be somebody different. I want people to see me as something different. I no longer want to be up at 4 a.m. on the tour bus, you know, playing music so loud. I'm keeping all my crew up. You know, it's no longer my world. I'm sharing it. How rude of me. I want to be thought of differently. And I remember the day that I got sober, I walked up the bus. I went to a tattoo place. I said, tattoo, uh, this number on me, 10, 9, 16. And the guy's like, oh, man, names and numbers. Like, really? Why? And I was like, I got sober today. He's like, man, you're going to regret this. I said, no, I'm not, homie. I'm the type that looks down at that every day and goes, don't break it. You got a tattoo on you. Right. So, <laughs> and I went, and I went, straight, I went straight back to my bus. And I told every one of the, my, my crew members, who are all my friends and my band, hey, if ever I ever offended you, if ever I ever said anything to you or, you know, when I was drunk, no, Des, you never did. We've been working with you forever. Like, of course you never did. I said, right. But if ever you looked at me sideways because I was hammered, I apologize. And just know you're going to see a new, a new guy here. And they just kind of applauded me and, and went on, man. And it was, um, it was a great change. And then that first night going on stage was, you know, my head in a backstage uh, bucket, <laughs> a mop bucket that somebody went, went and ran and got. So I couldn't find a trash can. 
puking from the nerves from going on stage sober. And when I got off stage, I said, that was the worst. That was the worst time I've ever had in my life. And somebody said to me, that was actually, actually, but I didn't even know that he's a sober guy now that I think about it. I said, don't worry, it'll get better. So, and it will. It'll get better. And everything in your life will get better. If you drop the, the things that are, uh, the things that tie you down, mm. is what I could say. Well, uh, this has been awesome, Des. You have a, a lot to a lot of positive uh, to put out there in the world. In addition to just great, you know, straight up new metal because it's obviously it, if you hear that it would do construction. By the way, I don't know if it's getting too loud because I'm I'm normally in a in a studio in New York City and try back up, but I'm in my apartment in Queens. So understood. Understood. I was. So I was, I I know it's ridiculous. So that's why like, you know, we're all looking for something to do. That's, I guess it ties into my point. So I'm glad that, you know, while you can't be on the road, I'm glad that you have this new album to promote. So with everything you said so beautifully, what, if you're going to pick a track off the upcoming album that you feel has the most important message or meaning to you, what would that be? Well, I mean, at this point right now, I'm springing forward with uh, Keep Away From Me. Uh, the first single that we released. And it just spent 10 weeks on the number one metal chart right now, which I'm extremely proud of. Uh, and it's about agoraphobia. I mean, it's, and it's about, I mean, now with social distancing, which I've been doing my whole life, uh, mask wearing and everything, it's very apropos. I know, you and me both. I'm like, this. Yeah. I, I say this obviously facetiously because people are dying, but I'm like, this uh, pandemic is great. This is what I've always wanted, you know? But uh, yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean. This, is, this has been a real blessing and a curse for everybody. And listen, man, I mean, you're in New York City, uh, or you're in New York uh, in one of the boroughs. And yeah, I and I'm in, a bunch yeah, I'm in Queens. It, it was bad for a while, but now, I mean, we're, we're, we're distanced. You know, I work from home, yeah, but we went up to Vermont uh, a couple weeks ago, which, you know, is a pretty good state right now. So we're getting out and about, but I had gone back to the studio last week just for a week morning show. I was the only one there. It's, it's kind of, it's spooky. So who knows when I'm going to go back to the studio full time? Who knows? Right. I mean, look, you know, I think what people are realizing is, A, we need to slow down a little. This is the time yeah, to, to spend time with our families. A lot of us are realizing through this pandemic uh, that, you know what, we haven't been slowed down. We haven't been spending enough time with the family. How many times have you eaten dinner with your family this year? That kind of a thing. So, And then all of a sudden you're realizing, wait, why am I an hour and a half to work, an hour and a half back in traffic to go into an office to do the same thing I can do at home and then go out and pet my dog, see my wife, take care of my kids? So I think it's going to change. And then I was watching this thing on uh, on YouTube this morning about, you know, New York City will never come back. Now, listen to me right now. I'm a California kid born and raised. I'm West Coast all the way. I have California tattooed on me. But New York, I love that city. I love it. Maybe it's because uh, I have an infatuation with mobster stuff. I'm Italian. I'm, you know, I, I love that, you know, pizza. I love it. Right? <laughs> when I come, when I, the, sh- the shows there, the fans there have always been like, I always said, if you can make it in LA, New York, and London, you're good to go. New York City has always embraced me, always embraced my shows from the very beginning. And, and I said to my wife, we were watching this thing, you know, New York City will never come back. And they showed, like, everything closed. People aren't even coming back. I've got a guy that lives uh, on Union Street uh, ahead of a record label that, you know, I guess the I guess he's like 13 or 14, 15 stories high. There's two people in the whole building living there. And I said, bullshit. It's definitely going to come back. It's New York City. Yeah. I the mean, only, only, and, and it's funny, the guy who actually wrote the article is like, you know, I love New York. You know, I have a heart of a New Yorker. I'm like, not if you're saying New York City is not going to come back on me because New York City and New Yorkers in general 
are the roughest, hardest people. They're going to come back. So I hope all the best for you, my man. And thank you, especially especially with all the violence going on and 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 all the you know now it's rioting. I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to say protesting. I'm going to say now all the rioting going yeah. on. Just be just be very careful and um, keep spreading the word, man. I try to be a positive influence to people around me. I mean, I. I started this uh, personal positive thoughts with Des on Instagram. Okay. And overnight it got eight or 9,000 followers. And I brought on a psychiatrist uh, named Dr. Scott because he actually uh, DM'd me and said, Hey, Des, these people are asking questions about suicide. Like, you cannot legally answer this. Right. If you do, if you do and they die, you're, you're going to jail. Yeah. And I said, Well, dude, what do I do? And he goes, You need a clinical somebody, you know, and I'm a metal fan. And I, I have a practice, and so does my wife. I said, okay, get on here with me. And I've let him on there now for like six, seven months. I haven't even chimed in at this point right now, just so people really get used to talking with him. And I'm getting ready to come back in and, and do it and possibly turn it into a, a podcast. I'm not the kind of guy who wants to do a podcast, but I I feel like I, I maybe should now, that I have this guy on my side, and I can spread. You know, if I can keep one kid alive, sure, one kid, just one, man, just one that grows up and, you know, maybe I'm 60 and he comes up to me, man, you're not going to believe it. In my thirties, I was going to commit suicide and I heard your podcast. Now I got two grown children. I'm married. I'm this, that, like that, that means more to me than anything. So what you're doing is a very, very positive thing. And then telling stories about GNR is always, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. I mean, it's one of the greatest, it's one of the greatest bands in, in the history of rock and roll. I would say for me, it's the Rolling Stones and GNR. I mean, for real, I, I put GNR way past the Beatles for me. I wow. mean, she she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is like not my thing, you know. <laughs> so, you're, you're not going to do a cover of that on on, uh, on the second disc no, of this du- dual no, disc. <laughs> oh, no, I'll tell you, one of my one of my stepfathers, a guy who taught me a lot of great lessons in my life, still married to my mom, taught me a lot of great lessons about work and work ethic and hard work. Um, I had a lot of records, uh, a lot of vinyl around when I was a kid. I mean, I, I was a kid, a kid who came home from school and listened to vinyl instead of watching cartoons and stuff, right? And I was drunk, I probably listened to Steppenwolf records, which were his, and Doors records, which were his. And I um, drew, I drew all over his white white album, the Beatles Ooh. white record. I drew all over it. Yeah, I got my, I got spanked, you know, at that point. Uh, but I didn't like them back then, and I don't like them now. And so I don't mean to diss anybody's love of the Beatles. I'm just saying that, you know, talking about GNR is is like that's a and you know and that's another thing, right? That's a real rock and roll band. And the reason we say that is because they went through sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They somehow came out on the other edge. Um, I don't know if Axel is sober. I'm not familiar with that. So, he's, uh, I think he drinks, but it's from what it's never been like anything to excess uh, in, of right. record, you know, because there are pictures with him with drink in hand. But I don't, I never I, hear stories about him, you know, getting in trouble, being drunk, or I, I just never hear that. I can't imagine his vocal style and him trying to sing wasted. And actually, I'm going to probably later go go take a look and see if I can find any, you know, any stories of him being hammered but i mean what an insane band what an insane time for me to be young and to move to la uh i was born and raised i was born in la and then my parents uh moved down to the suburbs in orange county right in and out of orange county uh san juan capistrano all sorts of places and um in little apartment complexes and stuff at first right and so when i returned to la 
on my own and was like, this is what I'm going to do for a living. Seeing that band and what they did and watching them come up. Uh, and there was a story where when they released uh, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, um, I about, I would say, uh, I hold the, okay, how do, how do I say this? On Sunset Boulevard in L.A., there was a big Tower Records. It was the main Tower Records. And Cold Chamber, my previous band that I was in before Devil Driver, sure. we, we hold the record uh, uh, with Guns N' Roses on the most amount of people to come for a midnight signing at Tower Records. Well, that's cool. And I remember that being a huge thing for me when I was told that. It's like, the only, peop- the only people that have had this many people here is Guns N' Roses. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. And then everybody... <laughs> That's so great. yeah, that yeah. I mean, I think I think today after this, man, after I take my son out, I'll probably come back and, and listen to Appetite uh, on vinyl because I actually bought it just three weeks ago and I haven't even opened it yet. So now would be now would be the appropriate time. Yeah, uh, amazing, uh, Des. This was awesome. I really appreciate your time. And when the second album comes out, you know, part two, you're welcome to come back on and, and talk more GNR. And I'd love to come back on. Uh, let me know, and I appreciate your support, and I appreciate talking to you. And I've been having a great time with interviews, and I think like, sobriety during interviews is a great thing too. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. I would listen back to interviews and be like, "Come on, man! <laughs> like what you what you like what you just said was plainly based on ego." Which I have this thing where I don't I don't really deal in ego, and I don't really deal with people who have ego. And in my business, obviously, ninety five percent of the people are living on ego. But sure. I would read back interviews. I would read back interviews like. What the hell are you saying, dude? Like, this is, <laughs> not, this is obviously not you. So, yeah, amazing to talk to you. Love to come back on. Please be safe uh, in Queens. I mean, at least you can go out down the block and get better pizza than I can here in California. That is true. So, Touche. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so right on, Des. You, you as uh, well. And in, yeah, and if you're in New York or listening to this, be strong. Your city's going to come back. You know, let's let's all get through this. Let's all be a community. Let's all be humans and be a community. A lot of divisiveness going off in in, uh, in the world right now. Let's all come together. Right on. Obviously, for those uh, listening, I'm pairing this interview with Dave Mustaine, who you heard earlier. But I know Devil Driver never toured with Guns N' Roses. I mean, that bill would be kind of awesome. But I, I'm assuming you have experience with, with Mustaine and Megadeth? Absolutely, I do, man. Dave is one of the bigger bands. I mean, I started touring with like Pantera and Black Sabbath with Cold Chamber and and we definitely, we toured with Megadeth. And here's, here's a great Dave Mustaine story. And this will tell you the kind of guy he is and the kind of guy that he's always been to me, right? So if people have anything negative to say, this is the guy he is to me. We're, all, we're about a week into the tour. He hears that I uh, sprang my, my uh, ankle uh, doing something, coming out of the bus or whatever, which actually that happens all the time to guys. <laughs> like that's the, that's the thing that can get you is coming out of that bus for some reason. And he comes backstage and he's like, dude, take off your shoe. I'm like, what? I go on stage in like 30 minutes, Dave. And I, and he's like, yeah, but you can barely walk. I've got this Chinese herbal stuff right here. I've got a, a wrap. Take off your shoe. I took off my shoe. I take off my socks. Dave Mustaine himself rubs a bunch of this Chinese stuff all over my ankle, wraps my ankle, helps me put my shoe on, helps me stand up and goes, go kill it, kid. <laughs> so that's the guy that Dave is to me. And then later on, Devil Driver did Australia with, with Dave Mustaine, and he's the kind of guy, instead of taking all the dressing rooms, he's like, hey, look, here's your dressing room. It's right next to mine. Anything you guys need, let me know. He's always been a stand-up guy. Uh, that's the Italian thing. He's always been a real stand-up guy to me. 
so uh, and you know, and I and he's sober now too. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. Uh, it's awesome, dude. All it's the cool so kids awesome. are doing it. <laughs> uh, actually, I don't know if the kids are doing it. I think you got to get to a certain point. That's but if true. You're listening, if, if you're 22 and you're listening to this, and maybe you're hungover from the night before, <laughs> you may want to take a week. Off, you may want to take a week off and figure out that it might be better being sober off of alcohol. So there you go. Right on. Des, this was a pleasure. Uh, we'll do this again soon. Thank you so much. Take care, brother, and good talking to you. And have a wonderful, happy birthday today. Happy birthday to you. Thanks, Des. You take care. All right, cheers. Two amazing conversations. This is one of my favorite episodes that I've done in a, in a long time. And I really, enjoy, I, of course, I enjoy doing every single one, but the the conversation that happened with Dave Mustaine, kind of redeem, redeeming myself, uh, and, and Des was amazing. I, I didn't expect for him to, to be as big of a GNR fan as he turned out to be. I really didn't. I mean, he knew, of course, he was coming on a, a, a GNR podcast and we were going to talk a little bit about him, but I really didn't know the depths of his fandom. Awesome. Very cool. And we'll talk, guess, I want to talk more about like the vocal stylings uh, next time that we have him on. I'll make a note of that. Uh, thanks for hanging out. This is, again, this is my birthday gift. Uh, the fact that I get to do this, this podcast, to give me opportunities to talk to, to Dave Mustaine, to talk to Des from Devil Driver, this is what I'd love to do. This is, uh, this is radio. I've been doing this for a very long time. I've celebrated a lot of birthdays just being on the air, you know, uh, not making any plans. It's been a very uh, hard road, but uh, 2020 sucks. But, you know, all things considered, I think at least for today, it's a good day. It's definitely a good day. So uh, whether you listen on iHeartRadio or Spreaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can always uh, leave a review, leave a rating. Um, leave a comment. I encourage uh, audience participation, of course. And, and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, that's the best way to find out about guests before they happen on the show and how we continue the conversation between the podcasts. Conversation never ends just because the podcast does. We, we, we follow up on social media. So until next time, when are you going to hear the next episode of the AFD show? Well, the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy... You'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.